The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. To on the farm pitcherless podcast about all things prospect dynasty and minor league related i am your host lamar gibson with us making our way into the summer months i thought it'd be a good time to do a little stock up stock down and check in with prospects at each division so we'll be having uh, six of these episodes sprinkled in through the summer months but before we get started we have a little prospect rundown. We want to start in Pittsburgh with outfielder Jack Suwinski, who's having a really good year, including a pretty hot June. He is, as of today, um, 10 for 25, three home runs, two doubles, six runs scored, five RBI, has a stolen base. So he's just giving you a little bit of everything. Um, a couple of major caveats that I saw for Suwinski thus far, he doesn't walk much. So you do want to be cognizant of that. And the average uh, exit velocity and launch angles both are under league average. So um, you want to make sure you have your expectations kind of properly um, aligned and your values properly aligned for Swinski. I still would say he's worth the flyer in a deep redraft league. So if you're, you're needing uh, maybe a sixth outfielder sort of scenario in a, in a redraft, um, then I, I would go and look at Swinski. Uh, Dynasty managers, I would say maybe if you don't already roster him, if he's out on the wire, you're wondering about picking him, uh, picking him up. You know, if you're in a dynasty, you want to move fast on a guy to see. And that's where it kind of becomes league dependent. You kind of have to know your other managers. I don't know um, who Jack Swinski really is as a as a ball player yet. He's obviously getting run in Pittsburgh and they're turning through their guys. They got Cal Mitchell. Um, they're still waiting to kind of figure out what to do with Travis Swaggerty. So they have some guys, of course, we're still waiting to see the, the saga of Brian Reynolds is he going to stick around I think with his slow start to the year he he is he's kind of um, diminished his value that he had in the offseason when there were a lot of trade rumors so I think he's going to be sticking around Pittsburgh um, at least for another season but they're turning through some guys uh, as they're looking to assemble that next great Pittsburgh team is Sawinski part of that churn or is he actually somebody that's going to stick um, that's where I kind of want to see those additional at-bats myself but I completely understand you want to move quickly in a dynasty um, setup especially if it's uh, you know super competitive league and if it's a very deep league where he is still somehow uh, available completely understand if you want to grab him get him while he's hot now and then if you need to dump him if he cools off uh, then it's probably no harm no foul there uh, moving on, we're going to go to Kansas City where John Heasley uh, just recorded his best uh, major league start in his early career as of Friday against the Orioles. He had seven innings of one hit ball, seven Ks, no walks, no runs. And we've discussed Royals pitching before. It tends to be mostly in a negative sense. Here we have Heasley putting up a really strong start. But I will say this from a fantasy perspective, I don't see a lot in the underlying data. I was looking at the start itself and then just looking at what he's done in the handful of innings that he has. I don't see, and even looking into uh, his minor league um, production this season and even last, 
I'm not seeing a lot there to get excited about. I think he, with that start, puts himself into that streaming power. I think you can look at um, possible matchups, and, and if you need innings pitched, then you can grab him. But outside of that and all but the deepest leagues, I, I don't see a reason to actually pick and hold him up. If you had Heasley for a start against the Orioles, then obviously you, you benefit. But, you know, I if, if I see that, He's the type of guy that has that start and he and that start goes by the wayside because he was just on the wire. I don't feel super bad like, oh, man, I, I really got to go grab him for the next time around again, unless I'm going through my own sort of churn burn of players. Uh, so if you're in like a tanking situation or you're just really short on pitching for whatever reason, you got a lot of injuries, then I can definitely see grabbing him and holding on for multiple starts in a row. But outside of those scenarios, I think you can. You can let Heasley, you know, rock on. If you see something that's a really extremely beneficial start, and I don't really even know how many teams there are that would be that great of a start because he he did put up shutout ball against the Orioles, but the Orioles are their offense is so up and down, especially against a team like Kansas City and a pitcher like Heasley. You could definitely see if he ran to the Orioles again and they could completely blast them for six, seven runs. Um, not because they're so good, but just they have a couple of boppers, a couple of guys that can um, get around the ball. And especially as it gets warmer, whether it be in Kansas City or especially in Camden Yards, even with the new left field, you can see that ball carry out. So, um, again, I hate to keep slamming Kansas City pitching. Um, is great start. Kudos to him. If there's more of this, then we can definitely return to John Heasley and, and maybe we have a, a different conversation. But like I said, right now, from a fantasy perspective, I'm cool with letting him hang out in the wire, maybe streaming him here and there. And last on for prospect rundown, we have uh, the the new sort of Randy Rosarena in, in some cases is Christopher Morell, just a guy who continues to rate uh, for the Cubs. Uh, I would say at this point, his availability window is pretty much closed in redraft leagues. If you're looking for that uh, bench bad or second middle infielder um, eligible type player, he's probably not there for you. I would imagine um, at this point in Dynasty, he's probably completely off the board unless you're in a very small league. So I personally, if I don't roster Monroe, which I don't, um, what I'd be looking at is just how does he finish the season? Uh, I'd be interested to see how he's getting discussed in, in the offseason when it comes to rankings, things of that nature that might influence uh, whoever does have him on the roster uh, in your league that might influence how they value that player and how you want to uh, attack um, making an offer for Morell if you're still uh, interested going into the offseason. The speed's undeniable. Uh, he, he definitely hits the ball hard. He's got a max EV of 113 miles an hour, so he definitely gets around on the ball. Uh, I like to see the ground ball percentage come down a little bit. I like to see fly balls go up a little bit um, just to get more into that power. But I think he's overall setting up a, a really solid foundation for him to have success as a big league hitter going forward. Uh, I think if you do roster him, I think he's a great player to start shopping around. If you think you can leverage that to get an even better um, player in, in a player that's a little bit more proven in their return. Um, I think you can get some really good bites on Morrell, especially at this time of year where we're coming up on kind of midseason. Um, people are going to be making their evaluations about are they contenders or are they not? Are they going to be, you know, um, buyers or sellers essentially in, in your league's trade deadline? If you have Morrell, then you want to start making those evaluations as, as well. If you are a seller, he might be a good piece to sell. If you're a buyer, he still might be a good piece to flip to get somebody, like I said, at, at a more proven return coming in to get a manager that's really impressed by Morel's hot start to buy in. With that being said, we're going to get into the subject of today's pod. And again, it's stock up, stock down, and we're going by division. So again, today is National League East, and we're going to have... Um, handful of prospects stock up handful of prospects who looks like their stock is trending down for the time i know the nl east uh, may not be overall the the sexiest when it comes to prospects overall when you look at a lot of these teams a lot of them are a bit more um, matured in their 
farm or they're very top heavy in their farm. So they got, you know, some really known guys in the top five, but maybe not necessarily as deep as some other um, divisions and other teams are. But I think there's still um, some value into looking at some of these players who are on both sides of the ledger. Um, whether again you roster them or not just to have an idea of what they've been doing if you haven't been paying attention and um, just give you some ideas again about who you might want to target how you might want to leverage players that you already are rostering Um, just you know to give some other uh, viewpoints into possible valuation of these players. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show so we'll pay some bills and then we'll come back and talk about who stock is up and who stock is down in the NL East. All right, and we are back. So first on the stock upside, we're going to go all stock up and then we'll do all stock down. Stock up, we're going to start at the low A level in Washington with the Nationals and that's Jeremy De La Rosa. Uh, Del Rosa's outfielder you signed in the original um, sort of original recipe J2 period when it was actually J2 uh, back in 2018 and that was as a 16 year old he had kind of a subpar um, 2021 but because of how young he was as a signee he comes into 2022 and he's only 20 years old um, he is repeating Loay but Again, that's kind of the beauty of uh, some of these international signees. When you look at their age and you think about age level and all that sort of stuff, um, you could have a guy that signs 16, 17 years old. And it, I mean, he's 16, 17 years old. So it's going to take him uh, or it's reasonable to uh, that. It may take him a couple of years to really get started and get things under his belt. Um, and you still benefit from the fact that he's still not even getting into his prime yet. So it's not like college aged um, hitters. That's, that's obviously a big separator between the international signees and the prep ballers and on the other side, college age hitters. So with De La Rosa, what we see now in 2022, he's putting up 328, 401, 487 line in 45 games. He has six home runs. He has 18 stolen bases. And again, the stolen bases, I know we've kind of started to poo poo them in the minor leagues as a whole because of the different changes in the rules and the bases, etc. But still, you like to see that accumulation um, from a guy who was supposed to be a um, power speed combo. So he's showing both of those thus far. And uh, he's able to bring his K rate down so far from 34% to 26 The walk rate has increased to 10.8. And he just overall looks a lot more comfortable at the plate. He seems to have an all-fields approach. That's letting him square up pitches on both sides of the plate. So he's able to go the other way with some power and obviously able to turn on things on the inside corner um, from the left-hand side of the plate. And uh, as far as sort of caveats or things to work on, still seeing a high number of ground balls. Um, It's 56% right now. And he does have a very high um, over 400 BABIP. And so I think those things point towards some regression that would happen at the next level. But again, he's tapping into that power speed combo that the Nationals really want to see when they signed him. Uh, I definitely expect to see him in the top five for the Nationals for organizational um, prospect rankings throughout uh, the community come this offseason. And I definitely think if he's not already there, he should be within the top 200 
of overall prospects for most lists as well if he's staying on this pace. The thing that I like about De La Rosa is, um, again, that age of him figuring things out and still being so young. Um, to me, that speaks to the, the sort of intangibles and it, it gets very difficult to speak about those and, and especially in such a data driven um, age that we're in in the fantasy baseball community would like to see the numbers on stuff and intangible which can't really put numbers to it but um, him being able to make these sorts of adjustments uh, looking more comfortable looking like he can handle the next level of uh, pitching uh, getting promoted to high A which I think will probably happen within the next month or so uh, for Washington that to me just speaks to the fact that he has some some work ethic there, some stick to uh, He's able to break um, some things down and, and really make sure that he's applying whatever they might be working on him, coaches, developmental folk, etc. cetera, um, really just sticking with it and applying it and being able to be patient enough to see it to fruition. So again, being signed in 2018, very young, uh, now he's starting to see the fruits of that labor show up, at least thus far at the low A level. It doesn't bother uh, me that he has to, he had to repeat the level and you might see that happen again with high A and again with that age, that's okay. I, I'm comfortable with that. But overall, I think just his um, overall ability also defensively to stick um, as a center fielder, I think he can uh, stay in center field. I think he can move to the corners if necessary. He's just at a point where there's there's a lot of meat left on the bone, so to speak. There's a lot of potential left, um, and you can start to see why the Nationals signed him uh, at such a young age. I think seeing the next uh, challenge, seeing him in high A, that'll give me you know that much more insight into how I feel about him, how I'm valuing him. Um, he is somebody that I do have on one of my uh, dynasty rosters. So Jeremy De La Rosa is somebody that um, I would say if he is um, available, if he's on the wire, uh, I don't know necessarily have to, you have to run and go grab him right now, but he definitely should be on that short list for you. Um, I think in deeper leagues, I'd be surprised if he was still available just you know based on the number of um, roster spots that you have. But I would say if you're in the 16 team or, or higher and for some reason he is available i don't see a reason why you shouldn't pick him up and have him in your farm system uh, i would say again let the rest of the year play out he's kind of almost like a, a, a set and forget a type of guy you just stash him and could just come back to him at the end of the season and see how everything wrapped up i don't think you have to be constantly checking um box scores or constantly checking lines with him um just because again with him being in low A, it's a lot of him just getting the at-bats, getting the experience that he needs. Uh, again, if you think about him being a teenager with that lost season, uh, who knows what that did as far as his development in the first place. So that in of itself could be pointing to why he had a, a less than stellar 2021. But it again, it's all coming together right now for Jeremy De La Rosa. Moving on, we're going to go to the mound with uh, Philadelphia's uh, pitcher, Andrew Painter. And while the Phillies have a poor recent history of developing their prospects pretty much as a whole, um, Painter might become one of the exceptions to that rule. He was drafted last year out of high school, and he's a, been a very fast mover. Um, he's moving few lower minors thus far he, he carved up low a uh 69 strikeouts in 38 and two-thirds innings pitch uh 0.85 whip they just promoted him last week um two high a jersey shore we're still waiting uh for his next start there he hasn't made one yet he might be starting today actually i'll have to check after the pod is after i finish recording but he's shown a full repertoire of pitches and the big thing for um especially for a prep ball pitcher in low a that's that's putting up the type of numbers that he has he's showing the secondaries uh and he's been able to have command and control of them both in the zone and to get the swings and misses and that's huge because a lot of times you can see um a prep ball pitcher 
that is used to throwing mostly fastballs, maybe one off-speed pitch or one breaking ball. Um, but they've kind of buzzed through most of the high school competition that way. They'll feature a little change. They'll feature, you know, a, a little third or fourth pitch here and there. But it's really one, two pitches, fastball is the leader. And even at low A, where they're facing other 18, 19, 20-year-old uh, kids and, and hitters, they're still going really fastball heavy. And the secondaries are extremely secondary when it comes to how much they actually work into the pitch mix. So seeing Painter being able to use kind of the full array uh, to get those strikeouts and to get through his competition is um, very encouraging. Uh, with him being such a high draft pick, I would imagine that he's you know not available in any sort of um, dynasty league of any decent size. Probably was taken pretty highly on in your FYPD, or if you just have free ads, he was probably taken as soon as he was drafted. And that's fine. I'll say if you roster him, again, you're sitting good. You're just waiting to see exactly how well he continues to do. If you're thinking about targeting him, I would say hold off for the time being just because the, the helium is so high right now that uh, I don't really know what you could offer within reason to get a pitcher that, again, as talented, talented as he's shown himself, he still is just in, you know, literally just getting to high A. So you probably can wait uh, to see how he does in a few starts at high A, get a better idea of what you could possibly offer um, to, to get Painter or to get him maybe as part of a package instead of trying to go after him while he's, you know, kind of like super, a uh, supernova, like the, the hottest that he might um, possibly ever be uh, at this point in time. The next pitcher we're going to move to is in Miami. That's Yuri Perez. Uh, Perez is burst onto the scene last year. It seemed like Miami just pitcher after pitcher after pitcher prospect. Um, and he was just yet another one, 6'8", 200 pounds. So he's an imposing figure. He's somebody that definitely sticks out from the crowd uh, just physically. And he shot up through prospect rankings throughout 2021. He dominated both levels of A-ball. Um, combined numbers, 108 strikeouts, 70 and 78 innings pitched. Had a batting average against of 158. And after such a great breakout, there were really high expectations for Perez coming into this season uh, because you already were expecting Edward Cabrera to be part of the rotation. Uh, we are still waiting to see Max Meyer. I think there was expectation that Meyer could be uh, becoming part of that rotation coming out of double A. Uh, instead, he was assigned to triple A, but was has been looking phenomenal for the early part of the season. Um, so it was really expectation that Perez could join those two as being the next pitchers to come up into the big league rotation uh, to be pitching alongside the Pablo Lopez's and Alcantara's and Trevor Rogers of the world. And, 2022, the start of the season, he was signed to Double A Pensacola. It was a little bit of a mixed bag. The strikeout dominance was still there. You see Perez racking up 30 strikeouts against five walks and 17 innings in April, which you'll definitely take that at the Double A level. But you also see that he's given up more runs than what we saw um, in the previous year. He gave up three or more earned runs in three of those four April starts. Now, again, it's possible that this was just a byproduct of him getting warmed up for the season. He only threw five innings once in those four starts. You saw a lot of four innings, four and a third, three and two thirds. So a lot of that could have just been ramping up and them just trying to protect his arm. Um, by May, it, the numbers uh, looked a little bit more like what we had seen in 2021 from Perez. He hadn't allowed more than two runs in two of the three May starts that he had. Uh, the third May start, it was on May 25th, six innings of shutout ball, five strikeouts. So a little bit more in line, I think, with with um, the Perez that first caught our attention. And he's just continuing to rise. Cabrera is back in the big league rotation. Um, Max Meyer is still battling his nerve injury. So it's very possible that your Perez is the next pitch, uh, is the next pitcher to get his shot um, for the Marlins, especially as they continue to figure out what they're going to do with um, Eliezer Hernandez. It looks like he's completely out of the rotation and I don't know how long they're going to actually keep him even in the bullpen. There's 
still trying to figure out. I think Trevor Rogers, you know, him having more of a, a down year than expected. I don't think he's in danger of losing a spot in rotation, obviously, but they may be looking to see if there's another pitcher that they can um, bring in to, to um, spare some innings, spread them around a little bit. So uh, I think it's reasonable to think that Perez could be making his major league debut in the next couple of months for Miami, especially if Miami continues to fall behind in the standings. Uh, I don't think this year is shaping up at the big league level the way that they kind of anticipated with some of the offseason moves that they made. So they could find themselves in July pretty much out out of uh, any sort of playoff race and just looking to open things up, spare some innings for their veterans and turn some things over to uh, hopefully a healthy Max Meyer. And definitely you can see your Perez as part of that mix as well. Um, from a fantasy standpoint, there's really not a ton to add here. You were either on the Perez train last year or not for whatever reason. For me, I was just slow to slow to react. I, I saw it, but I didn't. I was kind of looking left while things were moving right. It happens. Um, at this point in time, you're, you're probably not going to get him from any sort of savvy uh, dynasty manager unless you're really offering something uh, big. And, and I would think it would have to be part of kind of an overall package. Um, I don't see anything one for one unless it's like a major prospect to swap for another major prospect, which is, you know, that's your call. And I would say uh, redraft folks, again, I'm trying to think about you and incorporate you more into the show. Redraft folks, he's definitely somebody to have on the short list. I think if you're um, looking at some counting stats and just where you can get a boost down the line, definitely he's probably a cheap move for when he does get that call. So I wouldn't pick him up now because I don't think it's happening within the next month. But again, once we get into July, might be a good time to revisit, see how he's doing, see what the chatter is. Um, and if you need strikeouts, if you need um, just overall innings, because, again, if you're running into um, having some injuries impact your rotation by July, it might be a point where he's a good ad for um, redraft leagues. In uh, our last stock up prospect in the NL East comes from the New York Mets organization. Um, and it's no big surprise here either is a very known prospect known and, and highly regarded. And that's Francisco Alvarez, their catcher. Um, Alvarez raised eyebrows in 2021. Uh, thanks to some really outstanding batted ball data. He had a 95 mile an hour average exit velocity as a 19 year old. And that was uh, coming out of the Florida complex league. He goes straight to high A. He continues to do damage there. And it's kind of similar to your Perez. And the fact that um, between those two leagues combined, he did so well that coming into 2022, I think it really raised people's expectation about what he can do next. Uh, uh, that batter ball data, I saw a lot uh, in connection to, Alvarez when it comes to exit velocities and launch angles, um, a lot of tweets regarding that. So as a 20 year old in double A, so again, thinking about that age and level, he's, I think, availed himself pretty well. He's hit 12 home runs. He's got 16 doubles. He has a 347 OBP. He strikes out a decent amount. I personally am not surprised by that, given again, his age and just the overall player profile, because he's definitely more hit or I'm sorry, he's definitely more power over hit. Um, but I don't see him being like a single category guy, and especially with catchers. Um, and I know catching prospects that we have coming up now uh, are kind of shifting some of the uh, thinking around how we value catching prospects. But if we stick to some of the age-old adages, they don't have to be in, in Alvarez's case. He, I don't think he is just a single category contributor. Um, I think he'll give you home runs, obviously, but I think he'll give you OBP. I don't think he'll be a drain batting average. I think he can be a 250, 260 batting average, at, 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 you know, um, kind of floor. And I think best case scenario, he could be even higher um, when it comes to average. I think he can contribute in a few different uh, scenarios. He has earned praise from evaluators and scouts for his defense um, at catcher. And I think that just helps his overall value because that means it'll be that much easier for him to get every day at bats. 
um, without the Mets having to worry about, uh, you know, this guy is a, kind of a zero in uh, on defense. So we always have to constantly move him around and figure out where he's going to play. If you think about um, sort of what ended up happening with Dom Smith, it was like, well, as long as he's hitting, we'll figure out a place for him to play. But he's, he's not really a first baseman. He's not really either corner outfielder. We can kind of stick him at left if we have to. And then once the hitting tailed off, there was really nothing to do. Um, I know it's not apples to apples, but just saying defense, even though we can't necessarily um, put a, a number value on it from a fantasy perspective, it does inform a lot of general value for prospects. And this is in uh, one of those ways it can do so in a positive sense. So for me, I think at this point, the sky's the limit for Alvarez. I think he could easily be making his major league debut next season as a 21 year old for the Mets. He he's been that good. I think the bat speed and, and just that bat of ball data is such a strong case for him. And I think that his approach and his um, production is such that I don't know. I don't know what else the Mets really would want him to show in the minor leagues. And we've obviously have some high profile guys that have struggled jumping from double A to the majors and even from triple A into the majors where they've had to then go back and get a motion and come back up and kind of do this back and forth to, to get some traction. That obviously could happen to Alvarez. It could happen to, pretty much any prospect there's there's not really any guarantees but you know are they going to say hey he needs to cut down his strikeouts more they could but I, again i think if he were to to actually be able to drastically reduce that k rate it probably comes um and it sacrifices some of his power as well because then he's probably just not um swinging as often and and finding those balls to drive and i don't think you want that so Again, I think he's so talented at such a young age, he could easily transcend from double A into triple A. The only other question I could see is, do they want to give him some triple A exposure just for handling pitchers, just kind of maturing a little bit more as a catcher and as the sort of coach on the field that catchers tend to be for teams? That is one place that I could see them making the case for uh, moving him a little bit more slowly, but offensively. I think he, if he continues to produce this season the way he has thus far, there's no reason for them not to have him somehow included in the uh, 2023 Mets uh, lineup. And I think, you know, look at how well they're playing this season. We'll see how the rest of the season ends up. But that could become very dynamic to add a player of Alvarez's talent uh, to what's been a very talented and productive Mets team so far. So that's the positive. That's our stock up. Um, but now we have to get into the negative and that's stock down. And we're going to go back to Miami and go in the outfield where we're talking about J.J. Blade. And I'll be honest, Blade might be one of the most sort of frustrating and disappointing prospects to currently roster. Simply because it, he, his inconsistency, I don't really know. I'm, well, let me take that back. I'm starting to get an idea of where to put him. I think it just uh, that value of what he's showing now may not necessarily match what people want him to be or what people thought he was going to be a couple seasons ago. Um, of course, super high draft pick, drafted number four overall from Vandy in 2019. He immediately gets assigned into high A. It's not uncommon uh, for college hitters, again, because they have a little bit more experience than what we talked about earlier with prep bats or international guys that are um, early teens um, but with Blade, that uh, that early assignment might have hurt him a little bit he had a decent start wasn't really remarkable but again that's 2019 lost season and then we jump into 2021 and it definitely looked like he may have been one of the prospects that were negatively impacted by that lost year he struggled to put up a line of 212, 323, 373. It's a 373 slugging. And uh, ended up also producing a 97 WRC plus. So he's under league average. But positives, he did show some plate discipline at 22% K rate, 14% walk rate. So it wasn't like he was striking out a ton. 
double digit uh, walk rate, which you love to see, especially at 14%. Definitely like to see that. Um, the game power was still there. He hit 12 home runs, had 22 doubles. So it was a mixed bag. Um, more mostly bad, but there was some good. So they send him to the Arizona Fall League, and it looks like that assignment is exactly what he needs. He dominates the competition. I think he, I, I they obviously don't release like voting or anything, but I think he probably had to be number two or number three on the overall ballot for the Arizona Fall League MVP. Um, of course, that award went to Nelson Velasquez, but he had to be right up there. He hits 316, five home runs, eight doubles. He has 20 walks to 23 strikeouts. He was just all over the place. You constantly were seeing highlights or if you were able to, to catch any sort of the games as they started to um, broadcast some of them, it seemed like he was always producing something. So again, Blade back on track. It's awesome. He's coming into 2022, uh, also going to be in double A Pensacola. So we're thinking, great. He, he need that AFL assignment, which some guys do just some additional at bats, clear your head out, get the, get some momentum and then take that into the next year. Except as of yesterday, he is batting 207. So still not necessarily translating. But again, it's not all bad news. He has a 363 OBP. He has 18% walk rate. He has 11 home runs. So just sort of all over the map, his K rate is elevated to almost 30%. It's 29% right now. He's hitting fly balls at a 57% rate, but it's not like he's hitting a ton of pop-ups. So we're talking about fly balls that are actually getting into the outfield, but at 60, almost 60%, that's just not sustainable to, to give you a lot um, from an average standpoint. So again, the frustration comes because I think Blade might be another three true outcomes player, and that may just not have been anticipated at the time. Um, but we know that three true outcome guys are useful. Um, both in real life as well as fantasy. It's just you have to properly adjust for that value. So I do wonder with changes and things like uh, the infield shift, if a player like Bladey starts to see a little bit more benefits in a batting average league because um, he can't get shifted on the same way. So some of those balls might um, turn into hits that were ground ball outs. And so that might be helpful to, to give him a boost. But I think right now you could probably get Bladey for cheap uh, from a manager that is disappointed. Um, but you kind of want to ask yourself what you think his ceiling looks like. And can you not find that ceiling from another player for equally, if not even cheaper, or just kind of wait and find that type of player, if not Blade himself on the waiver wire, you know, down the line, I could see the, the case, to be made to go get him now because he is, um, you know, in the upper minors. And I think based on what you think might happen with the Marlins, maybe some pieces get moved and he's able to, you know, get a promotion in the next year or so to the big leagues. But, you know, I could also see they've committed some money to Garcia. They've committed money to Aguilar. Um, a lot of the guys that were going to play corner outfield DH spots, the places that Blade would be um, playing at, they have veteran guys that have some money committed to them already there. So I don't necessarily see, for me, him pushing his way into uh, getting that playing time automatically. So again, for me, I can hold off on Blade. I just, I'd, I'd rather not um, at this point in time. I'll catch him on the flip side. And, you know, maybe 2024, 2025, then I can pick them up for cheap. Uh, you know, I can throw a couple of dollars down maybe and fab and, and just add them that way and just have a bench spot or a bench bat, I should say, um, that can that can pop some home runs and, you know, work some some walks, help my OBP. So moving on in L East, going back to New York with the Mets. This is going to be shortstop Ronnie Mauricio. Now, it may seem like I'm picking on Mauricio a little bit uh, because he does have nine home runs already uh, in what's kind of been a continued assignment at AA after he um, had a brief eight-game stint last year to finish out his season. 
Um, but I'm not, uh, not so much I'm picking on him. I think that the talent of Mauricio really is something that for me, uh, again, risk averse. I've talked about this before. He just seems to be too much of a roller coaster of a type of player. Um, it, it seems like it just, it, the, the pendulum is going to swing too much in, uh, one way and the other for me to, to enjoy having him or going after him. Um, as a, as a player on my team, I kind of, I don't see the reward always outweighing the risk. And he kind of reads like Javi Baez without any of the slick defense, but about 80% or so of the same poor plate discipline. And that's just, I, I'd just rather not. I don't want the headache. Um, currently Mauricio owns a 4% walk rate. He also has a 50% pull rate. Uh, historically, he's posted average or below average WRC plus numbers at every level. So he, you know, WRC plus isn't everything, but to me, that there's a lack of really being able to dominate pitching and really being able to be out, um, in front of the pack when it comes to whatever level he's at. He's still very young. Uh, he's only 21 years old, but he's somebody that I'm fine with catching him a few years into a major league career uh maybe i need a bench bat i need uh, again that second middle infielder maybe he's that type of guy that i can look at i have some bad ball data to look at from the major league level and then i can decide on how i feel about him as a player but from a prospect standpoint again i i could see him having a hot streak in the next month and then finishing out the year just stone cold and it just being a rinse and repeat for Mauricio for the next few years. And again, I, some of that is just prospects can always be like that. But I try to go either towards somebody that is going to be very stable, as, as stable as, you know, we can kind of forecast. Or if I am going to go with somebody that's, you know, super high ceiling, then it's going to be somebody that is probably outside of, definitely outside of top 100 definitely outside of top 200 even probably a top 300 or lower type of guy where it's a complete flyer right um we talked about gabriel gonzalez uh last episode and some of those other um uh complex league type players uh there's there's some other uh, high guys that i may take a look at that are not super well known aren't going to be ranked simply because it's uh, again it's so cheap for me to acquire him. It's literally just a cheap, uh, free ad. Uh, I don't have to trade for him. There is no name brand value to them. And if they get hot, cool. If they become terrible, fine. I can drop them. Mauricio, it's a little bit more legwork. You can't just drop him because he has too much name value and too much cachet. But you're going to be hard up trying to trade him if you don't like what you're seeing from the minor leagues. So you kind of have to ride them out. And I don't like prospects that I've, I feel forced to have to ride out to see what's going to happen. I, you have to do enough of that in the major leagues with with major league players. I don't want to do that with my prospects. I want to be encouraged and excited by my prospects. I want to think they're going to be good players, essentially. And I don't have that feeling with Ronnie Mauricio. Sorry, Mets fans, but that's just how I feel. I gave you Alvarez. This is just kind of, I guess this we can call it even now. But to finish out, uh, stock up, stock down. We have two uh, more players to go. One is a pitcher from the Atlanta Blade, uh, from the Atlanta Braves organization. This is Indigo Diaz. Now, Diaz might be a bit of a surprise because he's not, you know, very high ranked, if ranked at all. Um, not super well known. He's really the only prospect, and we know those tend to be valued very low in the community, anyways. But I put Diaz on this list because his 2021 was so good between uh, high and double A. It seemed almost inevitable that he was going to join the Braves bullpen, if not uh, last year, then sometime this year. Uh, he had a combined, he had struck out a combined 84 batters over 45 innings, only allowed six runs, only one home run. Opponents had a 135 batting average against Lights out, high leverage guy, um, dynamite arm. So where is he on this list? Well, this year, the command just seems to have gotten away from him. He has 17 walks 
in 10 hits and it's in almost half as many innings and pitches thrown this season compared to last. He does still have 27 strikeouts, but we know again that that fine margin that high leverage relievers especially have to walk, especially if they're high leverage relief pitching prospects trying to get into the bigs that's so volatile that that sort of inevitability that I at least thought was going to be there for Diaz doesn't look to be the case. Uh, Again, relievers are notoriously volatile, so this could swing back in the positive direction at pretty much any point in time. So it may be somebody to still keep an eye on because to have a high leverage uh, reliever that you can have cheaply um, that's going to give you both ratio and um, counting stats help like Diaz could potentially do. That's always a boon, especially as you're going into the back half of the season. Um, and you might be turning through some relievers that are starting to blow up, guys starting to get injured, etc. But um, I, I definitely don't see the need to go out and roster him. I think if you were sold by his 2021 um, you can probably let him go right now and let him let him float on the waiver wire uh, until you see any indications that um, he is kind of back to that 2021 form and or you start to see a need from the Braves specifically for those arms. And, and I don't think you're going to see that happen. Um, they have Strider obviously kind of um, going from the bullpen into the rotation, but I could definitely see if they had a major need, them bring him back. They have a ton of other upper minors arms for the starters as well. So I could see them uh, bring in uh, uh, Jerry Schuster, uh, Tucker Davidson. They've given some run at um, who else am I missing on? Darius Vines is a, is a name that um, I know isn't super well known, but he's been pitching rather well. And I could see him maybe being a little bit better out of the bullpen than a starter, even though he is a starter right now in the minors. But, the point is Atlanta has some arms that they could sort of mix and match into the bullpen. So it really would need to be Diaz sticking out like he did last year, doing that again to really make that push for him to get that promotion into uh, the conversation into the big leagues. So maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. I was just very surprised. So I put him on that stock down list uh, because I, I thought for sure we we're going to be talking about Indigo Diaz being really a surprise, maybe even closer type for the Atlanta Braves this season. And, and obviously it has not happened. And wrapping up our last stock down prospect for the NL East is out of Philadelphia outfielder, Johan Rojas and Rojas incredibly toolsy player, more hit than power. But he just hasn't been able to translate those tools into any sort of consistent skills. He's another person that benefits from just having been so young when he was signed. He's been with the organization since 2018, but he's only 21 years old now in high A. Again, hit over power. He doesn't strike out much, but he doesn't generate a ton of power um, as far as home runs. Last year, he hit seven home runs. That was a career high for him, and that was at low A. Uh, right now, he's just hitting too many ground balls. He has way too many pop-ups as well if you look at the infield fly ball percentage. Uh, and I think those two really just sap any sort of threat that he might have uh, with his above-average plate discipline. It really doesn't matter if you know what pitches to take versus what to swing at. If when you're swinging, you're not able to manipulate the barrel, not be able to drive those balls in a way that are going to do damage if you're hitting them straight in the ground or, wait, or, you know, popping them up in the air, then you're still just producing outs just in a different fashion than if you were striking out. Currently, I would say Rojas's ceiling right now looks like a fourth, maybe fifth outfielder. Uh, but I, I, I think the danger is, especially with Philly and the way that their minor leagues are, uh, I could see him being a season or so away from just being a complete afterthought as a prospect if he continues to struggle in this way. If you look at, their number one overall guy, uh, Mickey Moniak, he's just now starting to threaten into becoming a big leaguer. He was threatening uh, to make the team in spring training, end up having some injuries, went to the minors, had, uh, I think, another injury. He's just coming back from that. He he was on the 40-man, so he was able to come back to the big leagues, and I know he's been making some spot starts and some spot appearances Um in the outfield as a pitch hitter as a pinch hitter currently but that's your number one guy 
and a development piece just didn't happen but also they kind of were just you know so quick to turn the page and we're just going to throw money at it sign you know an outfielder sign uh, uh some some big name guys instead of trying to develop don't necessarily blame them if you can get a Bryce Harper or if you can get a Nick Castellanos why wouldn't you but that just doesn't bode well for a guy like Rojas to have that history established that if you're not doing it we can kind of just go out on the free we're more willing to go out in the free agency market and try to find somebody um established veteran who can versus wait around for you to finally um figure it out and finally connect everything together so um Rojas just not a guy I'm, I'm a fan of currently based on what he's doing we'll see if anything you know changes we still have about three months left in the season. So things could change to, to make me change my mind. All these guys, especially the stock down guys, um, with the exception of maybe like Mauricio, you know, could end up in a trade where they just need a new environment. And who knows what being around new coaches, new teammates, just overall, you know, new environment does to kind of kickstart their way. But for me, Rojas, uh, I'm fine with uh, letting him just hang out on the waiver wire. Uh, as well so with that all being said that stock up that stock down as far as the articles coming out still the regular schedule minor league players and pitcher of the week uh, which i've been having a lot of fun with i hope you guys have been enjoying those articles because i have a lot of fun putting those together um grabbing some uh video for you guys grabbing some stats and just looking into who's having great week and why um, so I really hope that you guys have been enjoying as, as much as I've been enjoying putting them together. You also had the farm system power rankings. I uh, took a, a brief break during the Memorial Day weekend and there really wasn't any movement because it was such a weird short week for the minor leagues anyway. Came back to it last week. So we're back in the swing of things. We're going to keep pushing with uh, that column. And um, again, you can typically find me uh, on Reddit now. Inside Fastball is the username. You can typically find me in the AMAs hosted by Scott Shue on every Friday. I'm normally in there looking to answer any sort of dynasty uh, prospect related type questions if you may have them. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. Uh, you can also email me if you are so inclined at Inside Fastball Newsletter, all one word, at gmail.com. With all that, I do want to remind, as always, that our listeners can find this podcast and all of our Pitcher List pods on the Pitcher List Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Pitcher List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. With that being said, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.